Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University. I've never been welcomed more than I have been in this place. I can say that I felt so welcomed by faculty, staff, students, every administration, everybody is very welcoming. That's number one. Number two, I find the caliber of student here, there's a biblical word for them that I'll use. It's guileless. What you see is what you get. There's no hidden agenda to the students I meet here. None. I, I just find them transparent. I find them grounded in the by the earth. I find them so, so Franciscan-like because Francis was a very down-to-earth human being. And that's what I find in our caliber of students. Our guest on this CUSE conversation is Father Jerry Waterman, a man of devout faith who has been making a difference in the lives of Catholic students on the Syracuse University campus since 2016. As the university's Catholic chaplain, Father Jerry brings people together for sermons and service, and he is proud to share his faith and his love of service with the campus community. On this episode, Father Jerry discusses how the Catholic Center provided a sense of community to Syracuse University's students during the pandemic, and why he was beyond humbled to have received the Chancellor's Forever Orange Award for his work as Catholic chaplain. He also shares how a fateful encounter while out for a run convinced him to join the Syracuse University community and relives his days as a commercial winemaker. Father Waterman, thank you for making the time to join us. Thank you, John. Uh, just for uh, purposes of c- calling names, my we go by first names in our Franciscan community, so you can always refer to me as Father Jerry. Everybody knows me as either Father G or FG or Father Jerry. I want to ask you how you personally are holding up. How are you doing? It's been a trying time on campus um, since you've been on campus. The last four years has been unprecedented. How are you holding up these days? Well, I have to say I'm holding up pretty well because what this pandemic tried to do was the antithesis of what we try to do on campus. We try as a campus ministry and a house of welcome, we try to bring people together. And the pandemic tried to keep people apart. So I had to work very hard with my team to try and bring people together safely. And we did that during the pandemic. It was just unfortunately to a reduced number of people because of course, space being six feet apart, that's how it was. But we still continued to serve via our Catholic Center and Hendricks Chapel. We still served meals after Thursday night mass. It was just on your lap rather than at a table. And it was in pods six feet apart. You know? Faith knows no bounds and it knows no space limitations. Correct. But it must have been a little difficult for you to try to still instill that sense of community and camaraderie that the church is known for. How did you kind of go about tackling that project? Well, we, we, we had the Zoom platform, okay, which, as you could see, was like Hollywood Squares, you know, so you had all these groups of people coming together. So there was Bible studies done on Zoom. We had masses done on Zoom. There was, and we didn't only use Zoom, we also used Instagram, and we used uh, YouTube, and we used Facebook. We used every possible social media platform that we could to get people together besides as the few we could get physically together. 
Did you ever, when you got into this profession, when you became ordained, did you ever think of a day when you would be using means like social media to try to connect with your with your faithful? Never. Being an extrovert and a people person, I am energized by people. So having to do this virtually was the greatest difficulty for me. In fact, I'll share a story with you. When the pandemic hit, it was our spring break two years ago. And I happened to be visiting some friends, some graduates of Syracuse, a couple in their home in Phoenix, and then continued on to our Franciscan friary in Boynton Beach, Florida, because it was March, okay, and I could get a little beach time and a little bit of running in the sunshine. And that's when New York State got crippled with the pandemic, pretty much. So my provincial superior said, why, why don't you just stay in Boynton Beach? Uh, the students aren't in campus and you can do virtual masses from there. So this was an experiment for me because all I had was my iPad and my iPhone. And I learned to set this up with the help of some good friends and started having uh, offering broadcasting masses. But for me, being a people person, it was so hard just to look at a blank screen as I was celebrating mass. So being the people person, I had phone pictures and photos of our students on my phone that I soon printed into 11 by 14 uh, pages and had them taped all around the wall <laughs> of the chapel so that as, as I was celebrating mass, I could see their smiling faces. And I, and I gotta tell you, John, it made the difference for me because looking at a blank phone screen is not the way I wanna celebrate a sacrament. It just isn't. <laughs> so even though the students' faces were on paper and they weren't physically there, I have great memories of them being in the spaces where they were photographed. And those were the images that came to my mind and warmed my heart for me to continue celebrating. That's a great example of taking a situation that's not ideal and making the most of it and making it so you can still see the smiling faces of the people that you're, you're talking to and you're delivering your, your, your messages. When it comes to, we all know that you're passionate about your faith, but how did you, did you have to modify your messages at all during not, the pandemic when you were doing it virtually? Not, not at all. I was as creative because I could see their faces and imagine them there. I was as creative with my homilies and, and messages as I could be. Yeah, there wasn't a lull in that. How do you manage to maintain that optimism, the faithful spirit, when there's so much adversity that we're dealing with? Well, well my faith is nurtured by my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I totally depend on the Holy Spirit to continue to inspire me. And my ministry is relational. So I was able to stay in contact with students and they were, their seeking their faith and having it nourished was my inspiration because they weren't going away, John. They, they kept coming, whether virtually or physically, they kept coming. And they wanted to gather in our space here on campus because we have a large enough space for them to socially distance and still be with each other, either playing pool or, or ping pong or watching a movie. They could do so even socially. They can do that with, with distance and safety. Do you recall what it was like going from 
purely being virtual to when we started slowly allowing crowds to come back and small in-person gatherings. What was it like watching the tide flow from being solely online to slowly trickling back to in-person? Well, the unfortunate part was being in person was great, but everybody was masked. And I'm, I'm a f- person who looks at eyes. I rely on facial expressions because I'm that person. So yes, it was there. And yes, it was great to be together. And our joy was infectious, but it was still, still hampered by that mask. I know it's not you operating in a bubble. You have a support (laughs) staff that has really stepped up. What can you say about the people you work with that made sure that the people who wanted to pray, that people wanted to seek service, did not miss a beat during the pandemic? Well, I will say my staff is fearless. And I'm speaking specifically about a campus minister whose name is Jeremiah, who is getting married on Saturday and moving on to another uh, another another profession as a hospital chaplain. He was fearless as well as I, and that fearlessness made students feel comfortable and welcome. And yes, we were masked, but we were always available. That's the key, John. If you're if you're a man of the cloth and you're and you're trying to lead students in the faith and present Christ, you have to be available and ready for them when they're ready to come to you. That's accompaniment. The word is accompaniment. And company means with bread, by the way. So it's comforting. You know what I'm saying? Well, you definitely get that sense of talking with you, uh, Father Jerry, that you are extremely comforting, that you're extremely warm and, and welcoming. Is there something when you look back on your dealings with our students that really makes you proud of what you were able to offer them? Because they're they're the ones who have a college experience unlike any other. They're the ones who are trying to figure out who they are, and they're dealing with this once-in-a-century pandemic. They're dealing <laughs> with unprecedented social justice movement calls where the world seems like it's turning on its ear. What makes you proud about how they handled all of the conflict? Well, I, I think they were able to work through all of that in their own lives. And I'm looking, and here's where the pride comes in. I'm looking at some of them going out into the onto their into their world, where and this world is scary sometimes. But as leaders in the faith, they're stepping up in their own respective uh, parish communities or Catholic communities, wherever they are. That that gives me great joy to see that they are blooming where they're planted, because we gave them we gave them wings, we gave them wind, we gave them uh, time, and and. I, I think we just launched them, you know, in a sense, like commencement just happened. They left the nest. Some of them are flying pretty high and pretty far because of what they've gained from the experiences here. A well-rounded experience, not only academically, but also spiritually. We have a very spiritual campus. I love that phrase, bloom where you're planted. <laughs> if it makes you feel better talking about commencement, that's a phrase you've mentioned. And Mary C. Daly, who was our commencement speaker a couple of years ago, she's in charge of the Federal Reserve out in San Francisco. She had that exact same motto, bloom where you're planted. And when it comes to being planted, commencement is a time where students, like you said, they go to wherever they're going to go, they're going to plant their seeds, and they're going to establish and launch themselves. Right. I want to talk about your launch point. How did you get involved in this line of work and being someone who is a chaplain, who's offering services that comfort, but that also challenge and nurture our students? 
Well, I can tell you it all be the, the university chaplaincy began in 2005. I was a very happy parish pastor in Connecticut. And my provincial superior came with a plane ticket. And he said, I need you to go to uh, Elon University in North Carolina. And they're looking for a chaplain. And I need you to go look there because I think you'll be the best person for that job. And I did go down. And I, what I saw was very, very inspiring for me to see young people trying to be involved in their faith and wanting to have a part in their faith, you know, in their development of their faith. And uh, 11 years later, I moved to Syracuse University. So 11 years there and doing what I do, uh, I was asked to come here. My predecessor died December 1st, 2015 from a heart attack at a very, well, I say a young age, 72 is not old in my book. And my provincial superior was looking for somebody to come and fill this void here. And I guess he went through a number of people before he finally landed on me. And I had some experience in campus ministry, obviously, at Elon. And he presented me here. And I really did not want to move north. I don't know if you're a native of Syracuse or not. You certainly know what this winter in Syracuse is like. And I would even say even spring sometimes is like <laughs> because I saw snow here on May 5th last year, the year before. Okay, so I was literally reticent to come here and was praying about it. And I was going to refuse, John, to be honest with you. And my spiritual director back in North Carolina said, how do you refuse something you really haven't seen? Even though I knew about this place, we've, our friars have been here at Syracuse University since 1999. I knew of it. I knew the challenges and everything else. I, I really was, I didn't want to come. And so he said, go visit. And then you can say no, if you want to say no. So the, the last diocesan chaplain who was here is here still working in the diocese. He was my tour guide, if you will. He set up appointments with me. And the first day that I was here, I had two students who I didn't choose. The campus minister at the time, Maggie Byrne, now Southwick, uh, I celebrated her marriage. She, she still works for the university. Uh, she had gotten two students to be my tour guides, and both of them were from my parish in Connecticut. Go figure. And she didn't know that. That to me was God's first or the first sign from God to me. And then I met the bishop the first day. I met the dean of Hendricks Chapel the second day and all the chaplains. And I was still, ah, you know, I don't want to move. It was very cold and windy here that April that I was visiting, very damp and raining. And so the next, the last day was my interview with uh, Kent Siverud, with the chancellor of the university. And I asked the friars in at Assumption, where I do live, if there was a running route that I could take and not get lost because I really didn't know the city of Syracuse. I just wanted to go for a, you know, a 5K somewhere. And they said, yeah, just go down Spencer Street. You'll hit the Creek Walk. If you take a right, you'll, you'll run to Onondaga Lake, turn around and come back. And that's three miles. Or you go left and it goes to Armory Square, turn around and come back. It's three miles. So I chose to go left towards Armory Square. And I'm praying to God the whole time, if this is really where you want me to be, you need to give me a sign. And again, that was my prayer. And I was on a little bridge right adjacent to the Onondaga Creek. Interstate 690 was above me. And I looked to my left and there was an open storm drain. And then 
an iron covered storm drain. And I looked at the iron plate covering the storm drain and there stamped in the iron was the initials W-A-T-E-R-M-A-N. And I said, no, that has to say water main. That's not water man. And John, it was my name stamped there. And if that wasn't enough, right underneath is a number 84, which is the year I was ordained. And under that is the year 55, which is the year of my birth. I had tears coming down my eyes because, you know, when you ask God for a sign and you get that sign, it is very humbling and very emotional. The sign is now framed. The picture is framed. I've taken a picture of it. It is framed on my wall as a reminder here in my office at Syracuse University Catholic Center that God chose me to be here. I didn't choose. We all think we have some control over <laughs> our lives and you weren't going to come to Syracuse and, <laughs> and you weren't thinking of coming to Syracuse, even though I love the fact that um, it wasn't like you were from, you were a stranger to the cold weather growing up in New England. I mean, we I just have come. more of the snow here than you guys probably did back in your hometown. And, and dreariness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as, as Jim... As Jim Beheim likes to say, Syracuse is like Hawaii six months out of the year. We just don't talk about the other six months out of the year. <laughs> True enough. I agree. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love Syracuse in the spring and the fall and summer? <laughs> oh, no doubt. The sun is shining and people are, we, we right. appreciate it more having we, been through the, the doldrums. <laughs> there's the key. We appreciate it more. I talk about the sun when it comes out to my friends in North Carolina. They say, why are you talking about the sun? Because we don't see it that often and we're grateful when it shows. <laughs> <laughs> you have served as a Catholic chaplain since 2016. Uh, August of 16 is when you took over leading both uh, the Syracuse University and the SUNY ESF communities. What is it about the Syracuse University and SUNY ESF students and the community that has made it so rewarding for you to work with? Well, I've never been welcomed more than I have been in this place. I can say that that's number one. I felt so welcomed by faculty, staff, students, every administration, everybody is very welcoming. That's number one. Number two, I find the caliber of student here, there's a biblical word for them that I'll use. It's guileless. What you see is what you get. There's no hidden agenda to the students I meet here, none. I, I just find them transparent. I find them grounded in the, by the earth. I find them so, so Franciscan-like because Francis was a very down-to-earth human being. And that's what I find in our caliber of students. They are very, they, they'll say anything to me, John, which is what I appreciate. There's no, oh, you're a father, you can't hear that who they are is who I see. And I laud that. I love that transparency because that's what God sees. And that's what God, how God created them to be. There's no such thing as a facade with God. God sees. It's no surprise that recently you were honored by Chancellor Severud and the Syracuse University community with the Chancellor's Forever Orange Award. It's an award that's conferred on students, faculty, or staff who, quote, by virtue of extraordinary hard work, 
good values and commitment to excellence embody the best of Syracuse University. It's an outstanding honor. It's well-deserved. How did, how did you feel about that? I know that it can be a little tough to have humility and have an award kind of thrown at you. Were you surprised by that? Surprised, shocked, and utterly humbled. I, I said this to the chancellor as he handed me this award on the stage on April 22nd of Hendricks Chapel. I said, every Sunday, I celebrate mass. I preside on this stage. I make Jesus present for the students here. And I speak about the gospel here on this stage. I said, my knees never, ever shake. Today, receiving this, my knees were wobbling because <laughs> I didn't want to be there. <laughs> I don't, when, when, the, when Chancellor told me that I needed to be present at this ceremony on April 12th, I said, why? He said, because you're receiving an award. I said, I don't want an award. He goes, that's why you're getting this award. Because I knew you don't want it. <laughs> yeah, very humbling. Very humbling. If you can allow yourself to brag a little bit, I know you're very modest, but what do you think it is about your service? What do you think it is about what you provide to this campus community that made you worthy of getting this award? Well, I think you already know, I, I love people and I don't care who it is. I tell the students, you know, study hard in school because what you learn is very important and can take you to great places. I said, but don't miss an opportunity to meet another human being. Talk to the people who clean your hallways and your toilets. Get to know who they are. They're providing a service to you. They're the salt of the earth. So for me, I want to know the names of the people who are cutting the grass or planting the flowers or putting the ice melt on the roadways and the walkway. I want to know who they are. I want to offer them coffee or, or something to eat because that's who I am. I'm a Franciscan. I want to bring people together all the time. <laughs> the sacrament is obviously incredibly sacred and wine is a, a critical part of the <laughs> sacrament. I'm going to take a left turn here, but our audience might not know you have some experience as a commercial winemaker, which I found fascinating. Explain that for us. I do. I do. I, um, well, I can explain this part first. I was five years old growing up in an Italian household, four families, including my maternal grandparents. And my grandfather made wine every year. And of all the grandchildren, he asked me at five years old to help him in the basement, okay, where he made the wine. And so from five or six years old, you know, remember those jelly jars that used to come, they, they were like cartoon characters, about a quarter of the way filled at my dinner table every night was that little bit of my grandfather's homemade wine. So I learned <laughs> to appreciate the wine at a young age, and very seldom would I ever abuse it as a high school student, <laughs> because I, I, I appreciated it and liked it too much to abuse it. And I was teaching in our college seminary and outside of um, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. And there was, a, we used to help out at the local parish. And there was a man who was a lector and he threw me a bunch of grapes on, in a bag. And I said, uh, these are wine grapes. He goes, yeah, I have a vineyard in the back of my house. She said, we're picking actually. It was, it was early fall. He said, we're picking if you want to join us. So I went that following Saturday and picked some chancellor wine grapes, red chancellor grapes. And 
I made about 10 gallons of wine with it that we served at our table at the seminary. Okay. And <laughs> eventually we, we, every year we have what is called, it was the garden party was our annual fundraiser. And the guy in charge of that, one of our friars, my confrere said, would you be willing to do a wine tasting booth? And I said, mm, it's a lot of work. I had a whole year. I said, it's a lot of work, but I think I can. And so I made 190 bottles of nine varieties of wines, including fruit wine. So uh, Loganberry and apple and you know, besides grape. And I made my own labels and glued them on with you know, an Elmer's glue <laughs> and corked them myself with a hand corking device. You know, And it was really <laughs> a labor of love, John, I'll be very honest with you. And in a matter of an hour and a half, I was completely sold out. And my provincial superior at the time came and said, we need to go into the wine business. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, that's, I, I humored him for a second. The following summer, no, not the following, it was like a few months later, he calls me and he said, have you looked into the wine business? I said, you're kidding me, Mark. He goes, no, I really want you to look. So being born and raised in Connecticut, I, I knew of a winery, a home, like a family owned winery in Connecticut. And I inquired, I went for a visit and inquired and I ended up working with them hand in hand on our conventional Franciscan wines and wine labels. And we were in business for five years. I really think it was the, one of the greatest things I've ever done. Talk about people person I, in a tasting room to see a Franciscan in a habit <laughs> pouring wine and talking about it like it's your best friend. <laughs> I think we need to bring this back. I mean, you know, the, the Finger Lakes is not that far from here. We're a great, great growing wine growing region. I think we should make this happen again, Father Jerry. Uh, John, it's a passion. Wine is a passion for me, but I know how labor intensive it is. And I also know that I couldn't do the two jobs of being a chaplain here and being a winemaker in, at the Finger Lakes. I, I couldn't do it as much as I, again, I tell you, I still have a passion for wine. I collect wine and I enjoy wine and I will talk about wine. In fact, a year ago, I had a, a grad student Bible study that we called Theology in the Vineyard. And part of the talking about scripture was wine tasting. It was just part of the experience. <laughs> and, I, and I would share a particular grape and different levels of production of that grape. Uh, and quality of that, you know, production. So a lot of fun, there's always fun in wine. In, they say in, in vino veritas, in wine, there is truth. I say in wine, there is actually love because you, it brings people together. Inquiring minds want to know what was your favorite wine to make and what is your favorite wine to consume? My favorite, I'll start with the consume part first. My favorite wine to consume is a wine made in the south of France, and it is very, very religious, if you will. It's called Chateauneuf de Pape, and the name translates New House of the Pope. When the papacy was forced to move to Avignon, France, the grape growers just above that palace of the Pope decided they would be the winemakers. Thirteen originally 13 grapes had to go into this wine. And of course, 13 grapes coming together and wait, waiting for them to marry. It took at least five years in a bottle before that could happen. So an aged Chateauneuf de Pop was probably 
the best thing you've ever put in your mouth. And I really think it's so complex because of that blending of grapes. It's really a fantastic wine. The one I like to make, believe it or not, is elderberry wine. <laughs> because it's very unique. Very unique. And my, my uh, uncle, who lived in our maternal house, when I was maternal grandparents' house when I was growing up, he used to make dandelion wine. So I appreciate the grassroots of herbal <laughs> and fruit non-grape wine. It was always a challenge, and I really still, I, I don't do it anymore, but I really enjoyed making elderberry wine. You mentioned being unique. I think that you're a unique talent to have here on the Syracuse University campus. Uh, as the chaplain of the Syracuse University Catholic Center, uh, you have just such a warm and inspiring personality. It's been great to get to tell your story here on the podcast. I hope that you have a lot of sun-filled days this summer and get a chance to really kick back and relax a little bit while still teaching those essential messages uh, to our students and our campus community. Thank you so much for making the time today, Father Jerry. Thank you, John, for uh, the invitation, and it was a joy to talk with you. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.